Welcome to The Loop with Stan Guthrie. As an author and communicator, Stan offers a critical and often humorous look at the day's issues, all from a distinctly Christian perspective. From his home studio in Chicagoland, where it snows far too often for his tastes, Stan cheerfully takes on all comers in a culture that is losing its mind without losing his. And now, here is Stan Guthrie. I've been around the Christian publishing industry for a long, long time. And let me tell you, there's always a lot going on. And one of the things that's in the Christian and otherwise blogosphere these days is the issue of endorsements. The famous person endorsing an author and his or her book. And it's come into the news lately because of an article that the Gospel Coalition published about the relationship between Christ and the church and sex between a husband and wife. I'll just say that they stretched that metaphor a little too far into the physical. There were various critics of it, various amounts of embarrassment about it. And so the Gospel Coalition withdrew the article. For our purposes of our discussion here, a couple of endorsers of this gentleman's book, because the article came from a book, they withdrew their endorsement saying that they had not read the book carefully. So Kurt and Kate asked me to respond to an article about this from Caitlin Beatty, a former colleague at Christianity Today. Caitlin is now working in Grand Rapids for a Christian publisher there, and she was quite critical this week about the whole practice of gathering endorsements for books, especially when the endorser has not actually read the book. So what follows is my discussion with Kurt and Kate on Moody Radio Florida. It's used with permission, and I hope you find it interesting. Hey, Stan, you're an author. You've written how many books now? Well, uh, seven on my own or uh, co-written, but I've uh, had a hand in about 40. Have you been a ghostwriter? Um, you could say that. Okay, so for those who don't know what that is, <laughs> it's somebody who writes a book for somebody else, but I would hope that your name is on the title there, you know, on the, you know, you get credit for that, in other words. Yeah. There are there are gradations. <laughs> if, if my name is on the title, like a with Stan Guthrie, that means I serve, served really as the writer, you know, working with the, the uh, named author to, you know, get his ideas and, and points. Um, if my name is not on the... Um, on the book that I'm usually more of an editor. So uh, it, it depends, and it's it's pretty negotiable. I saw this article on Christianity Today posted this week. Here's the headline, The Problem with Christian Book Endorsements. Whew, okay, the blurbs you see on the books, I admit it. Yeah. Uh, I read those endorsements, uh, and the names do carry some weight. You know, I, I can tell if uh, maybe some of them are maybe not so theologically sound if this person is endorsing this book, 
then maybe I have a check and I'm like, I'm not sure. Forgive me for closed thinking, but I only have so much time to read. But mm -hmm. I, I do use those. You know, I really do. Yeah. And everybody uses them. How does this really work? Yeah. This article it lays it all out there because how many of these celebrity pastors who endorse books really read the book itself? And this whole let's let's just talk about how this whole thing works. Well, um, the article was written by Caitlin Beatty. She's a former colleague at Christianity Today. I believe she's an editorial director over at Baker Books. And, you know, there was that controversy uh, last week, uh, something that uh, Crossway published on its site was, uh, let's just say, it was too salacious. It was probably uh, rated more than uh, uh, G. So, um, Okay, so, so, so hang, on, hang on for a second. You danced around the yeah. edges of it, and that's cool. I appreciate that. But it was it was actually an article on the Gospel Coalition's website, right? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that's that's right. And uh it 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 stretched the metaphor of uh Christ being the bridegroom and uh the church being the bride a little too far. I, let's just say it got a little too physical, a little and uh and there's um, a book that it's based on that is yeah. uh, it may be released by now or it's coming out soon. And it did use the, the act of sex. You know, the Bible compares our union with Christ with marriage. But mm -hmm. this went way off. The, the the excerpts that I saw, they had to dial yeah. it back. And there were all these people who yeah, endorsed the book. it compares with marriage. It doesn't compare it with the honeymoon. So. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Uh, yeah, and, they, and, I think they went too yeah. far. And that's yeah. part of the problem of uh, evangelical publishing is um, sometimes, well, there's a couple of reasons. It, well, let me back up. A couple of people have withdrawn their endorsements, and at least one of them said that they will not um, they will not go ahead and uh, continue their endorsement because they had not actually read the book carefully, and so they kind of said, "Well, sorry about that." So that's why Caitlin wrote that article. You know, what is the deal with endorsements? And here's the thing: a lot of people who write books and a lot of people who endorse books are extremely busy. And so if you're at your computer and and a good friend, uh, you know, a co-laborer in the gospel uh, sends you a message saying, would you endorse my book? It'd be really important uh, for me. I think it would help get the word out. It's really hard to say no, but it's also hard to find the time to read an extra book on your stack. And so sometimes uh, people... Uh, we'll do shortcuts. They'll maybe read the introduction, the first couple of pages, or maybe a couple of chapters, and then they'll write the book. and 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 there's some value to that because they can endorse the person. You know, not every endorsement has to be exactly about the minutia of the book. You know, tracing out its arguments. It's only two or three or five sentences, so you can endorse the person or the broad idea. But uh, you know, you can sometimes get bitten. <laughs> If, uh, if the book has some controversial elements that you've missed. So um, your listeners should know that I would guess probably, um, I'd say 50% of uh, the endorsements that you read are, are not written by someone who has read the book cover to cover. Mm -hmm. And sometimes mm -hmm. these, so these well-known folks, they actually have their assistants, celebrity pastors, let's call them, yeah. for instance, they have their assistants who actually write the blurb and they kind of sign off on it? Yeah, no comment. <laughs> Ooh, I just touched a nerve. <laughs> Tell let's us more. Say, 
You know, there, there are layers to this thing. And uh, after reading Caitlin's article, I've decided that I'm not going to uh, do any more endorsements of books unless I have the time to read it cover to cover because I don't want what happened um, uh, this last week to happen to me where I have to uh, withdraw my endorsement. That doesn't look good, and it doesn't serve the readers well at all. You know what I noticed in my library the other day when I was looking through some of my books and reading the blurbs and the endorsements? And I'm just like, I want to count how many here. And I kept counting and counting how many books I have in my library that were endorsed by Ravi Zacharias, who we know mm-hmm. what happened. Uh, he's passed away now, but we know the scandal that involved uh, his ministry and all of that. And I see that and I'm thinking, I think Kingdom of the Cults, one of the, uh, Walter Martin, one of the editions uh, of that, uh, Ravi wrote an endorsement for, maybe even the foreword. That was one of the books I was like, wow, you know, and I guess you just, you don't know. And that's just, I mean, that maybe that's an extreme example of all of this. Uh, but anyway, it just kind of hit home for me. And then I saw the article. So, so uh, have you ever endorsed a book, Kurt or Kate? I have. No. I have. One, well, it, it's, it's, it, it began on Washington Street, Kristen Couch. It's a series of essays. She's been with us as a blogger. Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, I have a blurb that uh, that came out with her book, but that's the only one. Well, I, you know, it's just wonderful. I've had some wonderful people endorse my books, and they really do help, and it, it's such an honor. And I know um, some of them really do read them cover to cover, and uh, that's the practice that I'm going to endorse and enforce from <laughs> going forward so uh, nothing bad like that happens where I have to... Um, to a mea culpa. Imagine if the blurb appeared as it was written. Timely and compelling message. Famous pastor dash marketing intern. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, you can look at the other side as well. I mean, I'll just take an extreme example. You know, the president of the United States gives a lot of speeches and he, or in the future, she does not have time to write all those speeches. But hopefully, uh, and, and, no, and no one says, well, that's dishonest, that's unfair, whatever. They're, they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes. We know that they have whole staffs of people writing for them. But what we hope is that the person who's writing for them is capturing their thought, is careful with it. We also hope in, in, the, in our best moments that they're actually looking over the speeches and... Um, and saying, yes, that's what I want to say. And that's generally what I do when I'm writing for other people is I make sure that they sign off on it because they're putting their name on it. And so, um, you know, it's not, it's not dishonest, but it is complicated. And so um, we, we do need to be careful and we do need to uh, know what we're endorsing. I mean, that's a bare minimum. So. Yeah. Well, you know, these, a, lot of these, a lot of these well-known pastors, for instance, they come out with books like maybe two and three a year. Uh, if you've got an output like that, that's tough to keep the assembly line going, you know, coughing out books, you know, cranking them out. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a lot right there. And I know a lot of these books maybe are taken from sermon series, but you right. still need someone to put all that together. Yeah. Um, one, of my, uh, one of my former pastors, Kent Hughes, I did a, a lot of uh, Bible commentaries based on his sermons. And, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that, you know, once you hand over the sermon, there's a lot of editorial work that goes into it to make it a readable book. 
So, I mean, that's no secret. It's just, but that's why people like me, who are not a um, well-known pastor or, you know, some other kind of Christian leader, have work. Because not everybody can do what we do, at least in a timely fashion. So we're using our gifts to the best of our ability, and they're using their gifts and their time to the best of their ability, and hopefully uh, the kingdom is served. I love Kent Hughes. Disciplines of a Godly Man is a book that I revisit over and over and over again. Yeah, he, he was a great guy. I saw him uh, last year. I, he, he's still, uh, you know, got the twinkle in his eye. I think he's still writing, still speaking. So You know what he it, told Alistair really Begg? Alistair Begg shared this story. He said, I was talking to Kent Hughes the other day. And uh, he was indicating that maybe he retired too soon. Of course, Kent was the pastor of College Church in Wheaton. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I wonder. Well, I, I would have loved to have had him longer. I, I was there when he left, and uh, <laughs> you know, he he's probably the best uh, week in and week out preacher that we've ever had the privilege of sitting under. Yeah, he spent nice. many hours per week working on those sermons. Yeah, so it was no it was no accident. Had a chance to chat with him on a couple of occasions in regard to some books that he had written. So uh, just a really great guy. If you see a book by Kent Hughes, make sure you pick it up and uh, read the endorsements first. No, just kidding. I'm giving an endorsement here on the air. Oh, my goodness. I just realized it's not written, but it's... (laughs) But this is a good one. I've read the book, okay, over and over again, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Hey, Stan, always a pleasure, my friend. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. Have a great day. While we're on the subject of books, I'd like to read you a little something I wrote called Between the Covers, an unapologetic apologetic for reading books. C.S. Lewis once said, You can never get a cup of tea large enough or a book long enough to suit me. While I enjoy an occasional cup of Darjeeling, I like coffee or hot chocolate just as well. But you'll have to pry a good book from my cold, dead fingers. And when I say book, I mean the real thing. Three-dimensional with paper and ink. Something your hands can touch and your olfactory senses can smell. Not the fleeting pixels on your smartphone or tablet. Reading books, not just articles, blog posts, or tweets, is indispensable to living the good life. That's why our culture's decline in reading is so worrisome. According to the American Time Use Survey, in 2003, the share of Americans who read anything at all during a day was 26.3%, just over one in four. By 2016, that number had plunged to 19.5%, just under one in five. While the average amount of time that readers invested in reading each day climbed from 1.39 to 1.48 hours, the average time an American spends reading fell from 0.36 to 0.29 hours, because fewer of us are reading. And what are we doing instead? The survey points to game playing, computer use, and television watching. Reading books, however, is better and healthier than any of them. Game playing in moderation is not bad but it's no substitute for reading. While prior research has suggested that interactive gaming may promote memory, attention spans, perception, and motor skills, a newer study strongly suggests that reading better improves learning skills such as memory and comprehension, and that educators should promote it. Writing for Psychology Today, 
Susan Weinshank reminds us that texting, Twitter, and the web are engineered to trigger the brain chemical called dopamine. Dopamine, she says, causes you to want, desire, seek out, and search. In short, computer use is addictive. It's also not as efficacious as book reading. Researchers found that teenagers who read material on a printed page understood the text significantly better than those who read the same material on a screen. Dr. Martin J. Tobin explains why, quote, Online reading involves a different form of literacy than that of the printed page. The eyes bounce and flicker as they dart promiscuously, searching for nuggets of information and quick wins. It's almost as if people go online to avoid reading in the traditional sense. The instant presentation of expansive information threatens the more demanding task of the formation of in-depth knowledge. Literacy, the most empowering achievement of our civilization, is being replaced by screen savviness. Unquote. While the proportion of Americans who watch TV has remained at a relatively constant 80% between 2003 and 2016, on average, the time spent in front of the boob tube jumped from 3.28 to 3.45 hours. And the playing field is not even by restricting TV to quality programs, of which there are many. The activity is inherently problematic. A 2013 study of children in Japan found that the more TV they watch, the parts of their brains associated with higher arousal and aggression levels became thicker and their verbal test results became lower. Now, don't get me wrong. The fact that I wrote this article on a website means that I don't have a fundamental problem with articles or technology. But the question still remains, why is reading, and particularly book reading, so much better for you than these other activities? Quote, Cognitive scientists have discovered that reading is not only a visual activity, but also a bodily activity, Tobin says. Quote, a book is a physical object you see and feel where a book begins and ends. You feel the texture of its pages. Leafing back and forth through different portions of a book produces a mental map of the entire text, aiding comprehension of relationships and context and recall. Unquote. Reading heightens brain connectivity, fluid intelligence, the capacity to think logically and solve problems in novel situations, independent of acquired knowledge, comprehension, emotional intelligence, and concentration. Each of us experiences a book differently as we use our imagination to fill in the details. Reading engages our brains on two levels, cognitively and emotionally. Not only can reading improve the quality of your life, it can also increase its quantity. Yale researchers found that book readers live longer than non-readers, and that those who on average read more than a half hour a day, lived nearly two years longer than non-readers. Quote, further, the researchers said, any level of book reading gave a significantly stronger survival advantage than reading periodicals. This finding suggests that reading books provides a survival advantage due to the immersive nature that helps maintain cognitive status. That's good news for anyone concerned about Alzheimer's or other brain disorders. Alzheimer's, research has shown, is 2.5 times less likely to afflict seniors who read regularly, while TV is a known risk factor. Meanwhile, a mere six minutes of reading can reduce stress levels by 68%, which is a better return than listening to music, 
61% drinking tea or coffee, 54%, or taking a walk, 42%. Anyone can see that reading is good for your mind and for your body, but is it good for your soul? The ancient Jewish scribes who painstakingly copied the Hebrew scriptures character by character and line by line surely would agree. So would the monks who rescued the foundational works of Western civilization from destruction. The Bible translators who gave their lives so that people could have God's word in their own languages no doubt would assent heartily. As one whose spiritual and intellectual life has been immeasurably strengthened by books, I can only add my voice to this historical chorus. It's the main reason I write. So, start by finding a good book, perhaps one you've been thinking about but were too busy to read, and crack it open. There are lots of possibilities out there. And don't neglect your Bible, which, after all, is, quote, the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. That's what you'll find in the inside of your KJV Bible. Then, set aside a definite time during the day or week when you won't be distracted and get reacquainted with the quiet pleasure of reading a good book. And while you're at it, why not make yourself a nice cup of tea? And now, something a little lighter for your entertainment pleasure. The latest synopsis from Heroes and Icons of the classic TV show that I never watched, Baywatch. For the episode, Castles in the Sand, it goes, a frantic weekend begins for Alex when she begins tracking down the builder of several elaborate sandcastles that appear every day at the beach while she gets stuck entertaining her lifelong childhood friend, Sam's fiance Diana, who falls for Mitch, which prompts Mitch to ask Alex to pose as his girlfriend to keep Diana away. That's the first sentence. <laughs> it ends with this. Meanwhile, Cody's new motorboat gets stolen by a pair of boat thieves while out scuba diving, and he becomes determined to find the group before they strike again. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on The Loop with Stan Guthrie.